It is good. Pastor Scott and Linda went to Orlando this week, uh, not for vacation. Uh, he, there's a uh, group that invited them out to help them uh, learn how to do legislation as a conservative that may get passed. So hopefully they've learned well and, uh, and they should be on their way back. Sometime today they'll be flying back in. So I'm blessed with the honor to be before you this morning. I will say this is a uh, special holiday season for me. As those who know, I've been served in the Army for 38 years, the last about 30 years or so as a chaplain. In the last about 10 years within the garrison, where I had responsibility for chapels, and there was a challenge there. Because uh, though uh, it violates theology, as Pastor says, to have Christmas up before Thanksgiving. I, I'm still checking out the chapter and verse for you, so... We'll find that eventually of where it says, thou shalt not do Christmas before Thanksgiving. <laughs> but uh, as a, in an army chapel, you have to have the lights on, the Christmas lights on sometimes and off at sometimes because Catholics say that the lights aren't supposed to be on until Christmas Day. I think the light should be on all the time because Christ is our light, amen? amen. So uh, that makes this, this Christmas different than what I've had to deal with the last number of years. Pastor also likes to brag about his, his grandkids. I'm going to brag about mine today. I was sitting down in the, in the uh, seat this morning just being very proud that up on the keyboard was my granddaughter, which you will be embarrassed that I even said something. Uh, but back on the video part of it, of the audio video, was my grandson, who hopefully were in sync this morning. Uh, fortunately, he caught a misspelling in the first service, so we had to be a little bit better than you were today than you were in first, so you won't be confused about what I'm talking about. You know, as a, as a Christian, we often uh, sometimes sell a bill of goods to others that isn't quite accurate. A number of years ago, I was traveling from Fort Riley, Kansas, down to Fort Sale, Oklahoma, or that area to see my kids, and as I was going down the I-35, there was a sign that was on the side of the road, a billboard type. And one side had a big storm going on. And the other side was this calm, peaceful lake. Beautiful picture. And above the storm one, it says, life without Christ. And above the one with a peaceful lake, it says, life with Christ. And the problem with that billboard, I knew there, know what their intent is. is to say life with Christ is better than life without Christ. But the problem with the intent in that is it doesn't show reality of walking a Christian life. Because we know the, some of the reality of it. The reality of walking that Christian life is the challenges that you're faced. Some of you may have accepted Christ, and shortly after accepting Christ, you began having troubles in your life that you hadn't had before, and you're going, what's going on? I was told everything's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be a bed of roses without thorns. Everything's supposed to be bright and sunny and, and happy-go-lucky. And I'm facing these challenges in my life. Why am I facing these challenges? I must be doing something wrong. There must be something wrong with the way that I'm walking after Christ. The intent of the sign is to draw people to Christ, but in that moment, it sets a bit of confusion. It sets a bit of wrong expectation 
of what the Christian walk actually is. Because it doesn't take much reading through scripture to find a number of passages that says life with Christ is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a challenge. It is indeed better than life without Christ. I had a friend that a few years back, I asked her, you know, why is she a Christian? And she said to me that she tried life without Christ and couldn't make it. And her life was so much better with Christ. Even with the challenges that she faced, life was so much better with Christ. So we need to understand the fact of the matter is there are going to be challenges and struggles. Simply looking at Matthew 7, verse 13, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult for only a few ever find it. So you have the highway to hell and the stairway to heaven, right? Put it in this picture. Driving on I-25, got a lot of people on the I-25 and it's generally easy to drive. Generally easy to drive. And a lot of people find that highway, don't they? But very few find the incline. I have found the incline twice in my life. In the last 10 years that have come, come and gone, uh, different times, uh, leaders felt that the incline was where you build the staff up for unity. I'm not sure that really worked for me, but I did it because I was told to go do it. The incline's tough, though, if anybody's ever done it. I found it tough because I hadn't been doing it all my life, and there's these people older than me that had been going up and down, and they were passing me with barely, hardly breathing, and I wanted to help them back down. <laughs> Being a Christian walk is difficult. There's a reason why it says that few find that path. It doesn't say it's a highway. It says it's a path. Few find it. Why? Because it's difficult. Moment troubles happen, people want to ditch. Why am I here? Life was easier without this. I'm going to go live my life as I want to because life was easier. I had less challenges in my life. It's not about what's going on at the moment. If you only live in the moment, yes, it's going to be difficult, but if you live with a focus upon Christ, you realize that if you go through those moments of tough times, there's a reward at the end of that. There's a reward at the end. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3 says, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A week or so ago, we had a bunch of individuals who had served in the military up here. They understand what that suffering is. Depending on the branch, depends on the suffering they had. No, there's challenges when you join the military. There's suffering that goes with it. The suffering that we're talking about is not about the consequences of wrong choices. There's some of us who have suffered because we made some wrong choices, because we were being stupid and following into sin. And the consequences in that is not the same suffering as suffering for Christ. I had a professor said, sin is stupid. 
Well, the consequences that go with that sin to choose not to follow after Christ, yes, you have to endure because you made the wrong choice. But suffering for Christ is something different. It's not consequences for sin. There's people who have come to me and said, you know, I'm having troubles in my life. And I talk with them and I get down to it and I find out they're just not living life the way they're supposed to. The challenges they're faced is because of them, not because of serving after Christ. It's a difference. After serving for 38 years in the army, there's challenges that, that the military goes through that some of the civilians... Some of you civilians just don't understand or have ever endured that suffering. But there's purposes and points to that suffering that we endure because it takes and meets the need to finish the mission. I've gone weeks without showers. And at a certain point, you just don't smell each other. I've slept on top of, of Humvees. I've slept on rocky ground. I have taken and gone days without sleep. I endured basic training because it was forming me to be able to accomplish the mission. It's about that endurance. If you don't face suffering as a soldier, as a military person, you're not going to be ready to take and fig, meet the mission. There's a reason they give us a camouflage uniform. It's not meant so you to stay back in a safe area all the time. It's meant so you can go forward and meet the mission that you're going to face. And if we don't take and go through that suffering to form us, to give us the endurance we need to accomplish the mission that the commander needs us to accomplish, we won't win the battles. If you as a Christian don't endure the suffering, some of the suffering you endure, you're not going to be prepared to fight the battles that you need to fight. First Peter 4 says, so, when, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Did you realize that? That there's going to be a challenge. If Christ suffered, what, who are we to think we're better than he? Why should we think that we shouldn't endure some suffering also? As Christ suffered, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. God wants to take and shape us and form us and take things out of our lives. And when we endure the suffering to go through that, we become on the other side more perfect, more ready for what God has for us. Sin no longer is our desire. We begin to desire God because what that suffering should do is put us in a place that we're seeking after him. That we realize that our only strength and our only abilities come through Christ who strengthens us. Verse 3, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. 
Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Why are they slandering you? Not because so much because you are living for Christ, but they slander you because they don't like the light shine on them. They know the guilt. They feel that guilt. And so they're going to come after you because they want to take the light off of themselves and see if they can crush you because they want to draw you back to the things that you used to do because then they feel better about themselves. Of course your former friends are surprised. But remember that they will have to face God and stand, stand ready to judge everyone, both the living and dead. Jump down to verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. When I read that, I think of the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul tells married people, you're going to have troubles in marriage. And when a couple comes to me and said, Pastor, I'm having troubles in my marriage, I go, it's about right. We as Christians are going to have some trials and some challenges. It's just a reality. I'm not trying to discourage you this morning. I'm trying to encourage you, especially if you're facing some things and you're walking after God. And you're wondering, why is this happening to me? Well, don't be surprised. Scripture says it's going to happen. You should be encouraged and say, I must be walking after him. If you're doing everything right, if you're not following after your own sin and lustful nature, then you're doing things right. There's going to be challenges. Don't be surprised at those fiery trials. Verse 13, instead, be very glad of these trials. Make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glory spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must, be for mur- not, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. If you suffer because you're sinning, that's your issue. It's your problem. Get out of the sin. That's nothing to be glorious about. Stop sinning. Get back into the way of God. Get back to that narrow path. Verse 17 says, For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? The judgment is coming, and I would rather stand and be found good and faithful than be found as lacking and sent to hell. Verse 18, and so also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep going. Don't be discouraged. Don't take and sit down in the mess and waller in it. Keep going. So if you're suffering in the manner that pleases God, keep doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. He is not going to stop taking care of you. He's not going to stop supporting you. He is there alongside you, going through that with you, keeping you going in the right direction. 
Don't be swayed by the issues or the challenges you face. It's about perfecting you. It's not just in the New Testament that we find that there's going to be suffering. Isaiah, in chapter 43, says, hey, there's going to be this, this stuff. Not a maybe. There's going to be. Listen to this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. God says, I got you. We need to realize whose we are. When we're facing those challenges, sometimes we forget who we belong to. And we get a little timid and we get a little thinking back and we stumble and we fall. If we simply understand who we belong to, we can have the strength to go forward. At my retirement I gave our daughters some bracelets, and in the scribed in those bracelets says, when you're faced with troubles and you, you want to be let down, I'm paraphrasing here, it says, straighten your crown and remember whose you are. And we kind of gave that to them for two reasons. One, to remind them that they are ours, and we're fighters, and we keep going. But two, the other meaning in that is they belong as children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Sometimes we need to straighten our crown. Remember, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, that God has taken us and placed us where we're at. And he wants us to just go through and fight through. And when we remember whose we are, we can straighten our crown, stand straighter, and tell Satan, get away from me. We can be more confident in facing the challenges that we face because we understand that we are not weak. We are not stepchildren. We are not side notes. We are his. Just as our girls are ours, without doubt, we are his, not a maybe. So what do, what do we have here? If we understand that we are his, as it says here in Isaiah, I have called you by name, you are mine. Definitively, you are mine. It says when you go through deep waters, not maybe, not if, not you might. It says when you go, we are going to face some challenges. We're going to face some trials. We're going to face some testing. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. It may feel like it. There's many times a young soldier going through basic training thinks they're going to die. They're not going to die. The drill sergeants are tasked with their welfare and care. may not feel like it at times, but they're tasked. And there's consequences if they take and mistreat a soldier to hurt them. You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. God is walking with you on those things. I will tell you, if he feels the furthest away during those things, he's the closest to you. 
He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't taken and thrown you aside. He cares about you. For I'm the holy, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's not a might. It's going to happen. Are you prepared? Understand that there's things that you will go through prepares you for the next thing. There's many things in my life that I have gone through, challenges and struggles, that I had not gone through those. There's some bigger things that I would not have survived in. There's some greater things that I would not have made it through. In 2007, I was faced with a huge thing. I was falsely accused of an inappropriate relationship with a trainee. My life, my career, was placed in the balance, but somebody else had control. The investigator had control. The person who accused me had control of that. And believe me, if I had done that, Didi would have been the first one to throw me under the bus and drive that bus over the top of me. But thankfully, I had placed my life in such a way with her that she had that trust. So we went through that challenging time. Six weeks, I was under investigation. For six weeks, I didn't know what was going to happen. They could have gone either way on it. Not that there was evidence, but they could have chosen. All I could do on a daily basis is call out to God. Call out to God for me. Call out to God for the soldier who accused me. Call out to God for the investigator that truth would be known. Had I not gone through that, there's many other things that I would not have been able to survive. You say, that's pretty bad. It was pretty bad, but there's worse things that I had to deal with yet. And because I went through those things, my faith was stronger. My relationship with God was stronger. I didn't even have other chaplains to turn to because they had turned their back on me because it must be true. If you're being accused, it must be true. Thankfully... God saw through that. Because if I had lost my career in the army, I would definitely have lost my career to be a pastor. Because what I was accused of would have followed. All I could do was pray after God, plead after Him, seek after Him, just cry out to Him. Some of you are in a place, you're dealing with some things in your life. And it doesn't make me seem so big, but it is big to you. And all you can do is call out to God. Say, God, I need you. And let him work in your life. I see two main reasons we endure suffering. One, Satan does not like you being saved. He does not like you being a Christian. He doesn't want you to be on fire for God. He wants you to choose that highway to hell. And it's not so much that he wants you to lose your salvation. He wants you to become discouraged, despondent. Sit down, waller in the mess, and become mediocre. In fact, he'd much rather you be mediocre than necessarily lose your salvation because then you're not going to take and be on fire for God. When you're mediocre, you're not a threat to him. Because you're just going through life, huh? whatever. The problem is, being a mediocre, you're going to be going backwards pretty soon. 
It's not a, you can't sit in the middle. You're going to go backwards. But you're not on fire for God, and he's happy about that because you're not taking and saving people. You're not taking and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not showing them the great works that God is doing, the powerful things he's doing. So it's better that you're mediocre because now you're not impacting your world. And God wants us to impact our world. He wants, Satan wants us to have that victim mentality. That victim mentality says, woe is me. Everything's bad. Nothing's good. And God didn't create victims. He created a victorious people. A victorious people. You know, the reality, those of us in the Western church really has not experienced the challenges that many Christians around the world has faced. We really have not faced the challenges the apostles in the new church faced. We live a pretty easy life. I'm not trying to take and say what you're dealing with is not big and important and a struggle for you. I'm just saying, in light of things, we in the Western church live a pretty easy life. Consider the apostles, all of them, were persecuted, thrown in jail, stoned, beat to death. One was both stoned and clubbed because he wouldn't die. Apostle John boiled, not twice, not, not once, but twice in oil. Anybody ever thought about being a human popcorn? We live a fairly simple life. There's challenges we face. I'm not, not negating those issues. I'm saying when you, in the big scheme of things, we have yet to face the challenges, but it's coming. It's coming to us, church. And the things you're enduring is about preparing you for what is coming. The other reason that we face some troubles, some challenges, some suffering, is because God wants to make us in his image. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. He wants us to take and endure to become stronger. There is a bit of pain. I know there's some people who are fitness people and say there shouldn't be pain when you're working out. And I would say you got to be cautious, but there is pain in working out. When I haven't worked out in a while and then I go work out, I use muscles I haven't used, there's some pain. Why? Because the muscles are being used now. When there's some pain, there's some gain that comes with it. Become stronger. It's kind of like that jeweler. The jeweler that takes that diamond, that rough diamond. Have anybody seen a rough diamond? It's a pretty ugly thing, really. It's a rock. No real good shape to it. Kind of is somewhat pretty as a rock is concerned for those who are rock hunters. My wife is a rock hunter. She is a long line of rock hunters. So she thinks regular rocks are pretty, but anyway. When you take that diamond that's rough, it's not anything like what you see in a piece of jewelry. Yet that jeweler looks at that rock and he goes, there's something here. There's something here that is beautiful. And he looks and sees a shape that is formed out of it. 
And he begins to chop away at things, to take them off, to take off the, inclusion, the inclusions and the dirt and the other stuff that just doesn't make up what that diamond's supposed to be. And he carves it out. And when he gets it to the generally rough form, he begins to shape it on a grinder. And most of the other stuff that comes off is not worth much, but to be worn away on sandpaper or a saw. But the diamond that he wants begins to come into form. And he polishes it and shapes it and grinds it down to that beautiful form that we see. Whether it's set in a piece of gold or whether it's just a loose diamond, it's beautiful. God wants to do that with our lives and we go through some suffering, some challenges because he's trying to cut off the stuff we don't need. There's people maybe in your life he wants to cut out and you're trying to hang on to them. There's issues and challenges that we face and he says, I want to cut that out of you because I want you to be holy as I'm holy. I want you to be more than you were before. I saw you when you were in the womb. I knew where you were going to be and I saw you and I wanted you to be perfect as I am perfect. So I'm going to take and grind off some things. Grinding is painful. Cutting and chopping is painful. But he wants to make us into his image. Holy and perfect. To be like him. So when he tells you to leave something alone, whether he's told somebody else to leave it alone or not, that is him saying, I want to chop something out of your life. It may be a simple magazine that you say, well, it's just a people magazine. What's the harm of it? If God said, leave it alone, leave it alone. It's just TV. He hasn't, there's, there's good shows on. If God said, leave all TV alone, leave all TV alone. Whatever it is that God said, leave it alone, is because he wants to take it out of your life because it's going to draw you away from him and he wants to draw you into him. So he's going to cut it off. There's a purpose to the suffering. James chapter 1 gives us a little bit of that purpose. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I know some of you are facing some troubles right now, and you go, yay. No, it's not about a happiness. It's about a deep inner joy that God gives, a peace that says, I know it's troublesome, but I'm going to take and walk with you. You can have some joy in this because you can see on the other side what's there. It's about that focus. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. When you work out, your endurance has a chance to grow, right? When you first start running, or maybe you're hiking trying to do a 14-er. Your endurance isn't very long, but you keep doing it day after day and working at it. Pretty soon you find that you get to achieve what you want to achieve. What seemed hard of 5 to 10 miles now is easy. I had a buddy who I was uh, serving with and found out that he is an ultra-marathoner. You know what an ultra-marathoner is? It's those who run 50 to 100 or more miles. I figure after two miles, there's things called wheels. 
<laughs> but he would run 1,500 miles. He didn't get there just by one day waking up. He got there through endurance, building up to that where he could do 50 miles at one time, a mood where he could go up to 100 miles at one time. You don't get to the point in your Christian walk like a Billy Graham if you don't go through some things to get to that point. You build up your endurance to be able to live and strive to what God wants you to do. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. Let it grow. So for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Walk in after Christ. Don't give up. When it's hard, keep pressing in. The army required me to run more than I ever liked to necessarily, especially towards the end of my career. Knees kind of got beat up a bit. But we'd go for unit runs that would be four, five, six miles long. And I didn't normally run that. I'd do elliptical, but I would normally run that because... I had one knee that it was messed up and I didn't want to have to walk for a PT test, a physical training test. And those who are soldiers know that the walk is harder than the run. And I'd much rather run. So I didn't do the endurance, but I kept focus when those long runs came. And at the end, I wished I had run more so I could make that easier. When you endure and keep striving forward, each time it gets easier and easier to live after Christ, to walk after him. 1 Peter 5 says, stay alert. Watch out for your enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who gets devoured when it's a lion? It's the weak one, the one that's falling back, right? When you have endured the strength, you can keep going and the lion can't catch you. Satan can't catch you. When you stay in the word and you keep striving through those hard times, Satan can't get you. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in this, his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore support, restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. There is a point to this. When you endure through it, there's a point that he will set you up. The point is, is he's coming back. And he's going to take those who have endured and give them eternal life. To live with him forever. Those who don't endure, those who fall on the wayside, those who fall and go back into that big highway, they don't get to enjoy the benefits and the rewards. It is those who endure, who stay forward, who keep going, striving forward, they get the prize. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 8, to me, this is energizing. To me, it is encouragement, and I want you to be encouraged today if you felt discouraged because I said there's going to be suffering. This is encouragement to me. I get excited when I read this. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, 
but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. People are watching your lives. I didn't, I realized this. But I didn't realize it so much as when one of my soldiers wrote a book. And I was told, you're in that book. And I thought it was a passing glance. No, I was throughout the book as he talked about the way I lived my life. And as I endured the suffering that we all were suffering in that time of being deployed to Iraq, he found encouragement in my life. There's people watching your life and they are going to be encouraged by what you do. How you react. Especially if you're a mature Christian, they're looking at you and saying, how do they respond to this fact and this issue? And they're being encouraged by it. There's people who are not saved, who know that you are saved, and they're saying, how do they respond to the same adversities that I'm faced with? And they're looking and watching. So we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. How you deal with suffering makes a difference. And it says a testimony to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And people look at that and say, if they can endure that, I can do it. What do you have that I don't have? And why are you able to? Because of Jesus Christ. I can do all things because of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. When we're facing troubles and challenges, our body might be dying, but God renews us when we stay focused in Him and on His Word. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. I want you to consider this passage, okay? Think about the writer on this, okay? The writer endured prison. Endured beatings, endured whippings, endured eventually being hung on a cross upside down. This writer, writer endured more than most of us would ever think of enduring. And he says, for our present troubles are small. Kind of got chuckle at that one a bit. Right? When you consider what he was enduring at that time, and he says it's small. What do we have to complain about? In this Western church that we deal with, our problems are small. Again, I'm not trying to say what you deal with is small because it's big for you, but we know that he did, dealt with some more than we ever thought about dealing with. And he says our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Some of you are saying, but I've endured this for years. Paul endured a thorn in his side for years. And if you believe the memes, it was SpongeBob SquarePants that he endured. Which is pretty miserable. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. 
What you are going through may seem like it's a long time, but it's small. It'll last a short time. Even if it lasts till Christ comes back, it's a short time compared to the glory that we face on the other side. That glory vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze. Listen to this. It's that perspective. What is your perspective? I had a perspective when I was about seven years in the Army. I had gone to a unit that was just really a a jacked-up unit. I had taken an administrative bus down to specialists. I hadn't done anything wrong. They just didn't have a slot for me, and they... Violated regulations by demoting me to specialist, and they go, oops, our bad, and gave back, gave starting back to me. But I was done. It was a bad unit. It was terrible. It was miserable. I was ready to give up because I knew that I didn't have to be in the army to eventually become a chaplain. I could go right from a civilian to being a chaplain. But God spoke to me and says, "What is your focus?" Is your focus on what you're dealing with right now? Is your focus about you? Or is your focus about me? Have I not called you to this place, to this time, to be a light and a witness, even as not being a chaplain to these people? Where's your focus? I changed my focus and I got my focus back onto what God had called me to do, back onto my goals, back onto Him. And I got through that unit. A few years later, I moved out of that unit. The unit actually got better, and I don't think it really got better. My attitude got better. My mindset got better, and thus things were better. When you're going through some problems and challenges, get off the focus of the problems and challenges and get your focus on Jesus. It's that perspective. Fix our gaze so we don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. You're looking at your troubles, there's going to be challenges. So you fix your gaze back on God and you don't have to worry about the challenges because he's going to give you the ability to get through those things. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Glory. To me, that's exciting. Matthew 5 says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sort of evil things against you because you are my followers. Catch that. If they're saying evil things about you, not because you're following Christ, you maybe need to refocus your life. Okay? If the things they're saying about you is because you're not following Christ... Well, that might be a factor. But if they're saying things to you about you and mocking you and persecuting you because you're following Christ, then you're going in the right direction. Keep going. Be happy about it. Is that easy? No. But when you put your focus on Christ, it's easy to be happy about the situation. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Why do we think we're any better? The prophets endured things. The apostles endured things. Jesus endured suffering. Why do we think we're any better? 
We're going to take and go through some things so that we can be made perfect and holy. What is your focus? Where is your focus? Is it on you? Is it on the, the problem? I think of Peter who walked on the water. Remember the story? Jesus sent the disciples out on the boat, said, I'll catch up. And they're going, how are you going to catch up? They're out there, and the seas start tossing them around. There's a big storm happening, and they're all afraid. They're fishermen. You'd want, some of them were fishermen. You don't think they'd be afraid, but they were afraid. They thought they were going to die. And they, then they see Jesus coming, and they get even more scared because they think it's a ghost. And Jesus said, knock it off. It's me. Peter says, if it's really you, let me come out. Did Jesus calm the seas for him to come out? No. He just said, come on out. Things didn't get easy. He just had to have this step of faith. We kind of beat up Peter a little bit in this because Jesus says, you have a little faith, and we kind of give him a hard time. At least he wasn't the other 11 still in the boat. Right? He at least got out of the boat. Even though he... He sank, he got out of the boat, and he faced the challenges out there, and he was able to face the challenge because he had a focus on who? Jesus. He kept his focus on Jesus and got walking out there. It was the moment that he got lost his focus and got focused on what's going around and go, wait a minute. Some of us face those challenges, and we start looking around and go, wait a minute. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Get your focus back on Jesus because it's through Christ we can do all things. Not on our own. Through Christ we can do all things because he gives us the strength. When Peter started to sink, he's obviously too far from the boat to save himself and there's only one place he could go and call out to Christ and say, Jesus, help me. And Jesus reached out and pulled him up. Now if you look at that story, I want you to notice Jesus still didn't calm the waters at that point. Still didn't calm the waters. He didn't calm the waters until he got back in the boat. But he walked with Peter. Jesus is going to walk through those troublesome waters that you're facing until you get to the safe place that he wants you to be. Sometimes he's not going to change the things so that you stay focused on him. So that you stay in the place that he wants you to be. We read earlier where it says, we face the same troubles as anybody around the world. We each face same troubles. There's somebody who's stronger in the faith, more mature in the faith that you can turn to and say, hey, I'm going through this. And they say, I went through that similar thing. This is what we do. We come together and we bind ourselves with cords that can't be broken and we take a focus on Christ. I'm going to walk beside you because Christ is going to walk beside us. There's nothing that we can't do without Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Again, if you're facing troubles and problems because you have chosen wrong in your life, that's one thing. But if you're facing troubles and problems because you are following after Christ, if you're at school and you're walking after Christ and kids are giving you a hard time, then you're probably doing something right. Is it easy? No. It's easier to be part of the gang. Go down that large, that large highway 
but I want to guarantee you from one who went through school that on the other side, they are impressed by you for going through this and accepting what Christ has done for your life and showing them something different than they see anywhere else? Are you showing your coworkers something different than they see anywhere else? Or do they see the same thing? They're watching and they want to know that what you believe in is true and that you're going through the same thing they're going through so they're wanting to see something different in you. If you claim to be a Christian, they want to know that you will stay focused and not give in. Jesus suffered for us. He suffered to the point of death upon the cross. And today we take and celebrate communion. And if you want to celebrate communion, you didn't get a communion up before you came in. We got people who are willing to uh, take and get you some communion. Just have to let, raise your hand so they know that you need it. Jesus suffered through death on the cross. Why? Because he wanted to restore that relationship with us. He wanted to take and have that personal relationship the same way that he had in the garden. Through his life, we endure suffering like him to take and connect with him. And this is why we celebrate communion so that we can take and identify. We do it in remembrance of what Christ did for us. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for, for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and supper after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until it comes again. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And I encourage you to begin looking in your life. He says to examine ourselves. It's not about what the person sitting next to you may think of you. It's not about what anybody here may think of you, whether you take communion or not. Taking communion is not the sign of a high spirituality. Taking communion is about recognizing the Lord's body is pouring out of his life for us. 
Some of you, when you're sitting here today, as you examine your life and you pray and say, God, prepare me, God may be speaking into your life saying, don't receive communion today. You need to go deal with something in your life and then come back and enjoy communion in the right way. You might be more spiritual in the fact that you recognize God speaking in your life. But he says, examine yourself. It's personal. It's personal. It's between you and God what's going on. It's not up to anybody else. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some of you have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by God, we are being disciplined, shaving things off of us, being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I will tell you, for me, I used to see communion a different way for years. Third generation minister, and there's many times not to knock on my fellow ministers, but there's many times when I was growing up, they'd have the elements out and they'd do the sermon, and this is go to dismiss and go, wait, wait, come back. I forgot about communion. Communion is a time of remembrance of who Christ is, it's a time of examining our life. It's a time of saying, God, you are amazing and wonderful. Thank you for what you did that I might have eternal life. It's not a second thought. Not an afterthought. It's an important piece of who we are as Christians. It doesn't mean that the, the bread and the juice become the body and blood of Christ actually. It's about the elements. It's about the representation of what Christ did for us. The suffering he did. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we ask that you would look at our life. See if there be any wicked ways in us, Heavenly Father, and forgive us of our sins. Let us come to your table this morning holy and acceptable unto you. Let us not be found guilty of taking this unworthily, Heavenly Father. Let us not be found guilty of renailing you to the cross, but do this in reverence of who you are and what you did, that your body was broken, your blood spilled out, that we could have healing and be saved. For it's by your body and your blood that we have salvation. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the elements today, upon the bread and the juice this morning. May we understand the importance of these things. 
we've come to you in a worthy manner. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word said he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Let us eat. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you for his cleansing of our sins. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we worship and adore you. As we go into the Christmas season and we look at the Advent time of your son coming as a baby, may it also point us to the Easter time of his death and resurrection, Heavenly Father. May we understand this time that we're entering with thanksgiving for your son, Heavenly Father. And during this time of thanksgiving, may we give you ultimate thanks for all that we have and all that we are. Go with each one, Heavenly Father, as they go about your, your business throughout the week. Let their focus be upon you and always on you as they endure what they have, the challenge they have. We give you glory and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. David said, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. It has been good to be in the house of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And as pastor says, may he give you the opportunity that before noon tomorrow, you will have the chance to share Christ with somebody. And maybe it's like me on a robocall. Have an amazing week and happy Thanksgiving to you all. There's no service on Wednesday. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.